Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. I'm pumped this episode because I'm going to talk to Shane, my new buddy Shane Sams, and he and his wife went from making 76K to over a million a year, and they are working on membership-based communities. So I am excited to talk to Shane here. How's it going today? Doug, man, I am just admiring that amazing roof that you've got behind you. I love the I love the aesthetic of your video. It makes me jealous because I am at home today recording in my guest bedroom. I don't have my actual studio. So I'm loving the aesthetic you got going on <laughs> behind you right there. Thanks. Man. It's like a, like an airplane hanger or something. I'm actually in the basement. So it's kind of like a bunker down here. But yeah. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's cool to cool to meet you and your team reached out. And a lot of times I don't take pitches because, you know, a lot of them come through. I know you're in a similar space. So you hear from a lot of people. It's easy to send emails. Oh, yeah. But your story struck me. And there's a good chance I heard some of your interviews when I was getting started. I can't pinpoint it, mm. but your voice does sound familiar and so does your story. So I was like, this sounds pretty cool. Now, we don't really know each other at all. So who are you? What do you do? Let's hear a little bit of the background story. Yeah, man. So I'm actually a guy from Southeast Kentucky, born and raised, remain today. I've got 40 acres out here in the mountains and uh, I absolutely love love Kentucky. And uh, but I was not always like an entrepreneur. I actually used to be a school teacher. I taught U.S. history and coached football. My wife Jocelyn was a, an elementary librarian. And bro, I'll tell you what, man. If it if it wasn't for a series of events, I would probably still be on that railroad track making twenty five hundred dollars a month until I could not you know go bald and pull my hair out and retire someday, right? But what happened was one day I was on my way to work, and uh, you know my son. Uh, basically told me that a lady at his daycare was scaring him. And he couldn't really tell me why. The only thing he could tell me was this lady was locking him in a bathroom and turning out the lights. That's all he could say. And, you know, I didn't know exactly what was happening. My son was not very verbal. He was just, there was clearly a red flag here. Uh, But the problem was I was late for work already. I was in the parking lot and I had nowhere else to take my son that day. So I tried to call my boss. I tried to call my wife. I couldn't get a hold of anybody. So I actually did the only thing I could think of. I needed to get to school real quick and find someone to tell them, hey, something's going on. I need a day off. But I couldn't leave 30 high school juniors alone in a classroom because they would burn the building or start making babies or something, right? So I had no adult supervision. So I actually, I actually took my son to my daughter's daycare. She was an infant. And uh, I had uh, she was under two years old, so she was at this different daycare center, and there was a lady there to watch my son Isaac. So I said, "Hey, ho- keep Isaac here for a minute. I need to run to work." So I ran to work that day. I drove my forty-five minute commute in like twenty minutes, bro. And I, I when I got out, I left the door open and the car running. And uh, I ran inside, got another teacher to watch my class for a minute, and then I went down to talk to my 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 boss. Now I went in this this lady that was my boss at the time, dude, she was like hardcore. I mean, she was like everyone was scared to death of her. She was like when she would come down the hallway, the kids would like part like Moses in the Red Sea. I mean, it was just <laughs> like that's who this lady was, man. So I was like I went into her office and I told her, "Hey, something's going on. I need the day off work. I know that I you know, subs are supposed to be out before the bell rings and there, there probably aren't any subs left, but I need somebody to watch my class. I've got to go figure this out." And you know, she really, by the book, dude, just looked at me and said, Mr. Sams, is your son in immediate danger right now? And I 
you know, I answered truthfully. I was like, well, no, not right this second. He's a place safe, but like, I can't leave him there all day. He's not supposed to be at this daycare and something's going on. It might be nothing. I don't know at this point what's happening. We, we would find out later that there was a lot of like horrific abuse going on at this daycare center, nothing like sexual or anything like that. It was like when kids would get punished, one kid, they threw down on the floor and they would put a beanbag chair on top of him and sit on him. Wow. And my son, what, what he was being punished whenever he had a potty training accident, one of the workers would take him into a windowless, dark bathroom and turn out the lights and leave him in there for hours at a time. Wow. Now, I didn't know that on this day. You know what I'm saying? So I told her, I said, I, I don't know what's going on, but this is a red flag. I got to go talk to him. And my boss looked at me and said, you know, there's no subs available. I can't go watch your class all day. I've got stuff that I've got to do too. And he said, Mr. Stams, I know your son needs you, but your job needs you too. And you're going to have to handle your personal problems after work. Hmm. And of course that was completely unacceptable. And I, I looked at her and I said, that's, I can't do that. I got to go. And I said, what happens if I leave? And she said, well, you'll be written up. You could be in trouble for that. You can't just, you have 150 kids a day. You've got other people's kids. You got to watch too. And I was like, well, my son's more important to me. So I got up and I left and I walked out and, you know, and I, I was driving home thinking, did I just like, what if I got home and it was like, my son was basically like, it was a total game. It wasn't the person, nothing was happening. Like I was like, did I just throw away my whole salary on a hunch? But I remember in that car, dude, I looked at myself and I said, and I got really, really mad. And I thought, man, what have I done here? I, I have given someone so much control over my life that they think that my job is more important than my child for a paycheck that I get every other Friday and it runs out every other Thursday. Like that doesn't make any sense being my whole life away, my freedom away because somebody else signs my checks. And that's kind of what led to me going out, you know, and saying, Hey, I've got to do something. I've got to take control of my income because income equals freedom. I've got to start a business. I got to do something. And then, you know, I tried a bunch of stuff and failed miserably at a whole lot of things offline, but like, Finally, I, I was on a, my lawnmower one day and I listened to a podcast by this guy named Pat Flynn. It's called the Smart Passive Income Podcast. And um, he started talking about online business and you can make money on the internet and you could take things that you already knew. You could help a, a, a version of yourself that's going through similar struggles that you've overcame. And you could use your story as a marketing strategy to reach back and tell those people what you can do for them. And you can go out and you can make money on the internet. There's 8 billion people on the planet. You only need 100 people to pay you $50 a month. That's like $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year. You can replace your income. So long story short, uh, me and my wife go out and start a couple businesses. She starts a website called elementarylibrarian.com. And we start selling lesson plans to librarians. I start selling uh, I was a football coach, so I started selling playbooks to football coaches. I started selling lesson plans to U.S. history teachers. And uh, it took us a couple months to get a little following. My wife launched a podcast called the Elementary Librarian Podcast. It was riveting, as you can right. imagine. It was <laughs> all about libraries, right? And people started listening. The more content we made, and we launched it in August of 2012. 
And the very first month, we uh, made $2,500. A couple months later, in November of uh, 2013 or 2012, that was the first time we made over $5,000 in a single month, which was like what we brought home as teachers, right? It was like we doubled our income in a few months. And then fast forward to August of 2013, a year later, that was the first time things got really insane and we realized what was possible. Just with our online businesses selling lesson plans and playbooks, we made $36,000 in a single month. That was like a whole annual salary of one of our teaching jobs. Wow. And that's when we were just like, wow, man, this is, if we can do this part-time, what can we do full-time? And uh, so we went in and, uh, and we quit, we quit our jobs. And we were kind of just in like, let's ride off into the sunset mode at that point. Wow. That uh, crazy story with your son what year was that? Mm. That happened in around, it was around January of 2012. Okay. So uh, somewhere at the beginning of 2012, it was the winter and it was really, really cold. It was like January, late January, early February. But I did not start trying online business until around April or May because I didn't even know it exists. Okay. Right. Cool. And that summer we spent throwing mud on the wall until we like I tried everything. I tried Google ads, affiliates, blogging. I had three or four different failed websites. But then we finally realized that we could use the things we already had and sell them on the internet and create content around that and build a community around these products. And that's really kind of what what took it to the to the next level. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. In Pat Flynn is also my gateway into online business. And I was a little bit behind you about a year or so. It was like 2013. Mm. And I, I didn't know anything about it either. And I was like, is this yeah. a scam? This sounds crazy. And then I, dude, I jumped listen, in as well. I, dude, I, I, went, I remember being so mad at Pat. And I know Pat. Well, I've been on his podcast a right. couple times. I, I, actually, I actually hosted episode X. Uh, I hosted episode 500. I got to interview Pat. And I interviewed him cool. <laughs> on his show. That's pretty cool. But uh, but like I I was so mad at Pat Flynn one night. I was standing in the uh, I was trying to do uh, Google ads where where you would post ads, people click on you get a commission, right? And I had a blog. Nobody came to my blog. The blog was stupid. It was dumb. You're right. But like I was, it was so spammy and terrible. When I look back at it now, it was just embarrassing. And I went, I was, I made no money, man. I hadn't made a single dime on the internet for like months. And I was like, gosh, this isn't real. These people are scammers. And like, I was in this bathroom, I went to brush my teeth and I didn't even turn on the lights. I just kept the lights off and I was brushing my teeth in the dark. And dude, I remember just praying. I was like, God, is this real? Like, is this Pat Flynn guy full of crap? He's yep. scamming me. Like, right. cause I've been trying for months doing what they're telling me to do. And I have not made a single dime. And I remember being so mad about it, dude. And, uh, and I was getting ready to go to bed and I went back into my, this is a true story. I went back into my bedroom and, uh, you know how like at night you're looking at your stats, whether it's like downloads or views or money, whatever it right. is. And like, you're like, I'm gonna check one more time for bed. See if one more person came to my channel today. And well, I was looking at my affiliate dashboard in Google AdSense and I hit refresh and every night I checked it, there was always a zero. But that night when the screen came back after I had just been so mad at Pat, I just prayed about it. And I was like, what's going on? Hadn't made a dime. And when it came back, someone had clicked an ad and there was 11 cents in my account. There was a dime and a penny. And, and that, that gave me the hope to keep going, man. And like it gave my, my wife, I showed her 
And I was like, see, I can create things and money comes back. And there's 8 billion people. What if 8 billion people send us 11 cents, right? <laughs> like, and like, that's what got her on board was the proof that it could actually work. So like my, my ROI on my first, like you know, everybody's got their first dollar. Like I made 11 cents and I, we've had over $10 million in sales since then. So like, wow. it's like, that, that, that's a good investment. That first 11 cents, the turn for us. It's, um, a lot of parallels, same story on my end, except it was 13 cents. And I was like, I can do it. This is, this is amazing. Oh, you beat me. Yeah. Well, you got me, bro. It's no, it's no, gate, con bro. no contest, but all the same stuff. I was like, look, I showed my wife, you know, just refresh, refresh, like weeks of nothing. And then, okay. So this is, this is pretty cool. So the, the amazing thing is you, it sounds like you went straight to selling your own products, which is great. Cause I know, you know, mm -hmm. during that time frame, Pat was doing a lot of niche site stuff and that was kind of like the happening thing. So did you immediately think, Hey, I want to sell my own products because the margins are better Were the other sites not working out like the AdSense stuff, but like what drove you to create your own mm -hmm. products? Do we have a big delay here? Can you still hear me? Yeah, I'm just letting it catch up. We had a little bit of a lag there. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. All right, cool. Making sure. So here's what happened. You know, I was doing a lot of the niche site stuff. I was doing affiliate stuff. Now, can you hear me? Yes. All right, cool. All right, I'll start that part over. The, uh, I was doing a lot of the niche site stuff. I was doing a lot of the affiliate stuff, which was a, a fine way to do it. And we do a lot of affiliate marketing today too. Like I'm an affiliate, people affiliate for me. We do a lot of affiliate marketing today. It's a great way to make money online. But what really I was looking for was something that I controlled. I was looking for freedom. I was looking for something that I created and I owned. And that way no one could ever take it from me. Because my goal was... was I don't want to rely on anyone else for my income. So I'm going to build my audience. I'm going to build my products. I'm going to build my thing. And when Jocelyn got on board, my wife is very analytical. She's my business partner and my life partner. And like, so she's very analytical. And we started, she was saying, okay, well, that's 11 cents. How did that happen? And we started looking at how that happened. And she was like, okay, well, we have to make content. We have to put things out in the world. I have to do that. But she's like, well, tell me about the first people you found out about. And we started looking at Pat's story. Pat's story, while he did a lot of niche and affiliate marketing, and he became a great, a huge affiliate marketer, his original freedom story, he created a blog for architects and he created a study guide, a PDF for architects to use to pass the architecture licensing exam. So when we saw that, we were like, well, wait a minute. He created something that he could deliver on email and people paid him because that content helped them solve a problem. So we immediately latched onto that. Like that was the path we wanted to take. We needed a hundred people to pay us $50 to, to replace our income, which was 60,000 a year. It was uh, actually it was, it was like gross, like 75 ish, uh, take home pay was like 60 ish. We both took home about 2,500 bucks a month. Right. So we needed to get to, to that number. So our number was get a hundred people to pay us 50 bucks. We do that every month. We can now quit our jobs. So when we saw it, his first sale, he did 416 people gave him $19. So he made over 7,000 bucks, almost 8,000 bucks. 
And I was like, that's it. That's the path that we need to take to free ourselves. We'll figure out the other stuff later. So we created lesson plans that librarians could use in their office. We realized in their, in their libraries, we realized librarians, like people don't understand what librarians do. Like librarians in elementary school have to teach every grade every day. So you have to prepare lessons for six different grades every day. A, a, t a one hour class takes two hours to prepare. Now do the math. What's the librarian doing at home every night? She's not hanging out with her spouse. He's not picking up his kids from practice. They're, they're doing all this work. So we said, we'll do it for you. We'll solve this pro problem and you can have your afternoons back with your kids, right? So she started making these lesson plans. Playbooks, another easy thing I could deliver like in playbooks. And the results are, you know, elementary librarians, you get to spend more time with your family. Football coaches, you get to go home happy more Friday nights than not because you're going to win more games, right? So we put these things into these videos, into these PDFs, and we put them out into the world. So that's that was the quickest path that we found to uh, success was to, to do those PDFs and create stuff, put it out in the world. That's how we got there. Perfect. And... Well, the other thing is, you know, you were, you were teachers already, you were used to presenting information. So it's kind of like, it's a perfect scenario. I didn't have a teaching background or any sort of content creation or anything. So a lot of hurdles. And I guess that gave you really an unfair advantage because you were able to understand your audience really well, because you were the audience and you knew the struggles yep. already. So perfect. All right. Yeah. And, and you and, and that's that's a, and that's a, that's a good word there. Unfair advantages, though, like everyone has unfair advantages. It's just that was our specific one is, yes, we could create content. We knew how to create content. And we were like, oh, that makes sense for us to create content. But everyone's got some kind of unfair advantage, whatever niche or space or affiliate or whatever they do. And probably if there's a if there's a key takeaway from the first part of our story is is we didn't fall into the passions trap, like follow your passions and your dream will come. You know, what if my passion is walking on the beach in Thailand? That's not, <laughs> I can't make money that way, you know, like, like, but like, like we, we, we were like, what do we have now? What can we put out fast? And that will get us to our goal, which will make the ultimate result we want possible. So we picked things definitely that were like, this is the fastest thing we can create. This is the fastest way we can build an audience. And if everybody would just look at that more, you're going to get to do what you love if you'll just do what will get you there first. Right. And sometimes people miss that because as soon as you can replace your income, income equals freedom. You can now choose to do whatever you want. And once you figure out how to make money online, you'll always know how to make money online. So get there as quickly as possible with your unfair advantage. And then you can change it and pivot and do whatever. That's that's what I do now. Like we don't even own those companies anymore. We completely change directions. Cool. And with those first couple products, did you create them and then try to sell them, or did you pre-sell them? What was the you know you were really green back then? So how, how did you treat yeah man creating the product? Oh, pre-sell, pre-sell everything. You know, I was lucky back then because Pat hadn't blown up yet, and I was actually actually emailing Pat back and forth. My goal was to be on his podcast, right? As a success story, you know, which I was, I got to be on episode 122. So I, I met Pat really early. So I was kind of getting some, some feedback from him a little bit. You know, one of the things that he really harped on was building audience and making sure you built that relationship with people and making sure that like, you know, that like you, you and, and you, and you went to market as fast as you could get to market. So we made an outline, dude, like Jocelyn's first email basically said, Hey, 
if I, it was like, we had 200 people on an email list. We had been, her podcast had gotten some listeners. Um, not a lot of elementary librarian podcasts out there. So hers kind of <laughs> took off. And it was like, you know, she had those 200 folks. But like we said, if we will make you a month of lesson plans, that's all we said, we'll make you a month of lesson plans in August. Will you, will you buy them? Click this PayPal button and buy them and then we'll make them for you. And she kind of outlined like what each week would do. Right. But that was it, man. It was like a single email with like four bullets. And it was like, and then bam, 50 people paid for it, you know, in the first week. And we were like, I mean, and nothing will motivate you to make a product. Someone giving you money for a product that doesn't exist. I mean, we were on it, son. And yeah. like we, uh, and she made that first month. Then same thing. She was like, Hey, I'll make you September. Hey, I'll make you November. And then we were like, why don't you just join this monthly membership and pay every month? And we'll always make you lesson plans every month. That's and that's amazing. how we got into recurring revenue and memberships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just started charging people like it would. It was automated to pay, build them monthly, and that way we wouldn't have to sell it every single time. We could just get new people and stack on top of the pile. And that's how we really. That's what really changed everything because now it wasn't starting from zero every month. It was like, oh, we have a thousand people paying us forty nine dollars a month. This is amazing. Let's go get a hundred more and give ourselves a raise. And that that's what kind of led to our. I would say our exponential growth came from discovering recurring revenue fast and realizing how powerful it was like compounding over time. Did you have imposter syndrome set in pretty early there or were you just, you know, riding the high, mm. you were, you were busy, you know, you had to create those products because people were paying you a lot of money. What was it like in those early, you know, six yeah. months or something? I, I would say imposter syndrome has hit us every, I get imposter syndrome I'm every day. I still get imposter syndrome and like, I know I know what I'm doing now. You know what I mean? But like, it sets in like the first imposter syndrome we had was Jocelyn. I was like, Hey, we should, you should become like the elementary librarian, right? We'll create this character. It'll be a brand. And she was like, but Shane, I've only been a librarian for three years. Like I'm not like, a PhD in library science, like who's going to listen to me? And I sat there and I thought about it for a minute, Doug. And I said, anybody that's been a librarian less than three years, they make them every year. Like they're coming out of colleges, like at least they'll listen to you. And she actually, it was hilarious because in that first year, as her blog got bigger, as we promoted it more, we started making money. So we started running ads and like all these other things started compounding. Like the national association of libraries reached out to Jocelyn to speak at their conference. So like, you know, imposter syndrome is hilarious because like everyone has it, everyone thinks about it, but like it's the people that do things that are not the imposters. It's not the people that have any kind of credentials. Jocelyn was creating lesson plans. So it was that for me, for football coaching, dude, I coached in college football for a couple of years, decided I wanted to get into high school football. I got a head coaching job out in Western Kentucky, bro. I went 0 and 10 my first year as a high school head football coach. I lost every game and I got running clocked, right? And then like I had gotten better. We went two and eight, ended up going three and seven. I switched jobs. The team that I was at as defensive coordinator, we were we started winning games. We were like, you know, we were six and five, seven and three, eight and two. And what we had developed on defense was this system for winning with kids that weren't very talented. I mean, I'll just say it out loud. Like, you know, everybody else has kids that are six foot five running four or five forties. And I'm over here with four foot five kids running six, five forty, you know, like it was ridiculous. And like, so I had to figure out how to plug holes and cover up weaknesses and do all these things. 
So that was, you know, as I was starting to release my playbook, I'm like, who's going to listen to me? I'm not Nick Saban. I'm not winning state championships. But then this, I swear, this is what happened. One day I looked at my wife, Jocelyn, and I said, did you know that half the football teams lose every Friday? Like, think about that. (laughs) Half of all football coaches lose every Friday. So like half of those people aren't thinking about state championships and Nick Saban. They're thinking about how miserable they are. And they're waking up on Saturday and they're still miserable. And they're waking up on Sunday and they're miserable. Then they go to practice Monday and they realize next week's going to be miserable too. That's the people I can help because I was that guy. I was the guy that was two and eight. I'll sell to those people and I'll help them get to six and five. They can go home happy more Friday nights than not. And that was, that's, that's what kind of got me over it is I, I think what gets you out of imposter syndrome is when you stop looking up toward all the people that are ahead of you and you start looking back toward all the people that you can help. And the second you look back and you reach back to help people, imposter syndrome goes away. Comparison always causes it. Whenever I look up at the next guy above me or or ahead of me or has been doing the thing I'm doing now longer, I'm like, oh, imposter syndrome. But when I look back at the people I help, that kind of all all goes away. And it actually, I had one more case of imposter syndrome. It was pretty bad when we were going to launch our podcast. Pat really liked me and Jocelyn's vibe. And he thought it was a different kind of vibe. And he encouraged us. A series of events happened where we helped one of our friends quit their job. Like they were, she was basically like, hey, how did you do that? I want to do that. And everybody else was asking us like we were crazy. And she, but she started asking us how, and we helped her. And three months later, she quit her job. And I was like, oh my gosh, what, what we're doing works for other people. This is amazing. And Pat was like, you guys should launch this, this a podcast. You guys should help couples or something to, to go out or help families, whatever. Your voice is really different. But I was really like nervous because you you can, you've, I'm country, man. Like you've heard <laughs> me talk now for a few minutes. Like I'm, you know, like who's going to listen to me, right? And I had a big imposter syndrome because of my dialect, you know? And uh, then, but, you know, uh, me and Jocelyn were talking about that one day and we were like, well, what if people actually like our dialect? Like, what if, what if, what if there are a hundred thousand people that would hate us, but there's another hundred thousand people that don't like the other person's voice or dialect. There's 50 million people live in the South. I mean, if we just get them, we'd be all right, you know? And, and what we found was the more we embraced what we had imposter syndrome about, the more successful we became. So we actually, now all of our podcasts open up with, Hey y'all, we always just say it right (laughs) at the beginning. Um, and we kind of embraced it. And that's what really like, made the podcast have its own flair and authentic vibe. So, you know, imposter syndrome is a funny thing, man. And it, it, I think people wait for it to go away. But I hate to tell you all this. I don't care what niche you're in. You might say niche. I don't care what YouTube channel you got. I don't care what podcast you do. Imposter syndrome doesn't go away. And it always comes from looking up instead of looking back. Yep. I'm from the Atlanta area originally. So it just sounds like home to me, you know. There you go. See, that's what I'm talking about. I, I think I think we get a 10% trust bonus when we, people figure out what we sound like. Because they're like, if this guy can do it, surely I can do it. I mean, this guy sounds like an idiot. Well, I, surely I can do this. So you've been full-time online for, <clears throat> excuse me, several years now. Do you miss, or do you still yeah. coach in some capacity? Do you miss coaching football? I, no, nah, man, I coach people how to start online businesses, how to find and use their God-given gifts. I I had a couple Friday nights, you know, in that first year off where I kind of missed it a little bit, but I don't really miss it, man. I, I, don't, I don't really watch a lot of football. I watch uh, the University of Kentucky. That's about it. My I went to, I went to school there, and uh, but I don't miss it. And I, I think it's because 
you know, back in 2017, Flip Lifestyle, our current brand was really taking off. Like it was really blowing up. Like we had had a couple big podcast guest appearances. We had been featured in Forbes and Huffington Post and a couple articles were written about us. And it was so, and, and then the first people from our community started quitting their jobs. And they started freeing their family and they started starting their online businesses and all these things kept spiraling and it became just so mission driven, purpose filled and fulfilling that we kind of looked around and we were like, I don't want to do anything else, man. So we like, we sold elementary librarian.com. We sold it uh, in 2017 for a con on a contract for $1.1 million. And we had this big, all of a sudden influx of cash and we used that to grow flip lifestyle faster, right? We invested that back into team and our own coaching and our own, you know, learning so that we could go out and figure out how to help more people. So I kind of am so obsessed with what I do now. It's like football. Does that make sense? It's like, it's football was always amazing because on Friday night you went to war. Like you, you watched film on Sunday, you pr practiced all week, you had a game plan and you went in and, and you got to move the chess pieces in real life. And then it was over, you know? And now I kind of get to do that with like students. It's like they come in, they do the thing. We make a game plan. They go to war. We see what happens. We adjust. Like, so it's kind of like that has been fulfilled in me <laughs> in a different way at a higher level, man. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I was thinking, well, I never played any sports. I was more of a nerdy, nerdy kid. Still kind of nerdy now, but... I see that it would be like kind of a lifestyle and the camaraderie of like having the yeah. team and all that stuff and coaching and seeing someone learn and struggle and overcome sure. stuff. But you, you get it the same thing now. It's just a different sport, a different challenge. A different vibe. Yeah. Yeah. We do live events too. We do. So we, I go speak a lot. I was in LA at the LA convention center like two weeks ago. And then we also do like, those are big events, like thousands of people. But then we do like smaller events that are like more like 300, you know, three-day workshops. We sell coaching at the end of it. It's no surprise. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but we teach people the steps, the first steps of getting online business. And then we have more resources for them. But those feel like football games. It's the weirdest thing. Like it's almost like a webinar, like a webinar feels like a football game. You know, it's like, okay. it's on the calendar. That's game day. Did it work? back to the drawing board, you know? So right. like, I kind of, I feel like that need is met in my life basically. So you've coached a lot of people. You've been doing this for about a decade. Can you talk yeah. about some reasons people fail when they try to start an online business and maybe some key traits that people need to reach success? Yeah, I, I'll, I, I think the number one thing that people do when they first start online that, that makes them quit or makes them fail, not necessarily makes them fail, like from a structural standpoint, but makes them quit. Cause I think, I think more people quit than fail. Fail is like you tried a hundred times and it just didn't work and everything fell apart. Right. Most people swing once and then they quit. Okay. And what I think it all comes from that comparison syndrome, you know, people come out and they look at all these success stories or they'll look at like what we've done and they'll try to do what we're doing now instead of doing what we did in the past. And they take their eye off the prize and all, and people, people have a low tolerance for risk and failure. So like I can tell you right now, anybody that starts anything, your first idea is probably not going to work. I hate to tell you that. I, I hope someone else is telling you that in your life. It's not this, you, you have this spark inside of you. That's immediately going to emerge from the cocoon into a butterfly. Like it's going to be terrible. 
I mean, whatever you try in the beginning is going to be bad. And then it's going to be less bad. Then it's finally going to be not bad. And then it's going to be kind of good. And then you're going to figure out how to make something great. Right. So like comparison syndrome, dude, is such a thief, man, of any kind of joy in an entrepreneur's life. And like if that's why people quit and most people don't fail, they just the first thing doesn't work, but then they give up and they just throw it to the side and say, well, that didn't work because they're trying to protect themselves and their failure of I can't figure this out. No, you just didn't figure it out the first time. No one did. And if people would just keep stacking those little wins on top of each other, it was my fourth website that made a dime and a penny. Think about that. It took me four full-blown website builds before I made a dime and a penny. If I had quit at any one of those moments, including the dime and the penny, I wouldn't have the life I have right now, right? And we see that over and over and over again, man. We had this guy one time, dude. He came in. He was trying to teach creative people how to organize their creative time with spreadsheets. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the worst idea ever for a creative person. And we finally are like, Kevin, what do you like to do? And he's like, well, I like to play guitar. I taught myself how to play guitar. And we're like, can you teach other people how to play guitar? And he was, and, and, and he was like, well, I could, but like, who's going to listen to me? I'm just a middle-aged guy from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm not Eddie Van Halen, right? And we're like, dude, Eddie Van Halen's dead. Like no one can learn from Eddie Van Halen. And like, <laughs> you can't even get to the rock star. Even if you could get, he was alive. So like, you're the only option. You're the choice. So put yourself out there. But he was comparing himself, right? And that's what almost made him not even try. And now the dude has like two or 300 members every single month paying him. And he makes his full-time living teaching people how to play guitar. So it's like if he had quit or given up because of that comparison, he would have never made it, right? So he made it past the bad ideas, got him out of his system. He got to a good idea. He ignored the comparison stuff, and he was able to, to keep moving forward. Now, is that a guarantee you're going to succeed? No. And then another thing, too, is like I think people have a really bad idea of what entrepreneurship is because of like the four hour work week, right? Like we, and if you read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, you'll realize that he's not saying don't work four hours a week. He's, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that there will only be a few hours of your life you won't like, right? But we only see the headline in our culture. So everybody thinks the four hour work week, they skim through it. Oh, I want to work four hours a week. The goal in life is not to find something that you want to work on four hours a week. The goal in life is to find something you love so much and you're so passionate about it. You want to work 60, 70 hours on it. It's a mission. It's a purpose. It's what drives you. And when I, when, when people flip that mentality and they finally do get a, a, attached to a mission or attached to an avatar that they really want to help and they love what they're doing, all the stuff that they don't like doing kind of, who cares? That gets me to the thing that I love. So those two things, man, just don't compare yourself to somebody and embrace fail. So stop looking for, I know your job sucks. I know you want to quit. I know all those things. Get to something you love. You're, you're, you're not trying to get to something you don't have to do. You're trying to get to something that you want to do. That's probably the two biggest mental shifts any entrepreneur can make in the beginning to keep going. So those are great answers, by the way. I love it. The thing I wonder about, because I've been working online roughly the same amount of time as you. And I, I sort of took a different route. Like I didn't grow my business as much as, as you guys have. And I'm curious, number one, how big's your team right now? And 
Mm. Are there some things that you know that you don't like to do that you delegated to your team so you could focus on the stuff that you do like to do? Yeah. I mean, I have, I have a, again, do what I did. Don't do what I do. That's how we teach flip lifestyle. We start at the beginning. We want to know your idea. I want to know your avatar. I want to build what, what kind of content are you going to create? What kind of email list are you going to build? Like we, we do the fundamentals first, right? But my team right now is built pretty uniquely. I've got about 12 W2 full-time people on my staff, okay? And then we have about 30 1099s that pretty much work for us full-time because we do a lot of sales uh, on offline and online, right? So we have about 30 or 40 people in our team that we interact with on a weekly basis. We've also got some agencies and stuff like that. And in the beginning, we did write down things that we didn't want to do. But I actually think that's kind of a mistake. Again, it goes back to if your mission and the result and the goal is awesome enough and your all your focus is on doing what it takes to make that happen, almost any task at least becomes tolerable. Now, we try to keep all of our employees in flow. Like what's the, we at least want you to be in your zone of competence and, and not looking at the clock for five o'clock, right? That's where we want to be at. But we don't really look at it that way. We look at what needs to be done and who needs to do it. Like, for example, there's things in my team I love to do. Like I, uh, my, communi- my community manager, her name's Delenn, and I love what she gets to do. She gets to go live four times a day with our, t- with our community like, and do all kinds of fun things and hang out and hear success stories. And it's like a big party. She's like the cruise ship director. I want to be the cruise ship director, right? <laughs> like, that's an amazing job. Like, that's not, I didn't delegate that because I didn't want to do it. I delegated it because my unique skill set is relationships and CEO and being on stages and being like chief evangelist of the brand, right? My wife, like, you know, her, she's a, she's a master spreadsheeter, right? She knows how to do the nerdy stuff and the formulas and all that stuff, right? It's not necessarily the thing she likes to do or loves to, but man, she's good at it. So she chooses to do that because she's like, I do this the best, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it makes the mission move forward the best. And we kind of try to put everybody in that kind of seat. So that's how we build our team. It's like what needs to be done to free up everyone to do their best work, right? And what moves the needle for the whole company? I think it's just a mistake to say, I hate it when I see entrepreneurs tweet this, dude. Hey, man, come hire a VA, man, so you can get rid of all your boring, terrible tasks, man. I'm like, well, that's terrible. You're just hiring people to do your boring stuff and making their life boring. (laughs) Like, there's got to be a better way to do that where everybody wins, you know? So, like, we're all going to hate 10% of our stuff, but that's not how we look at it. We look at, like, what needs to be done? Who needs to do it? What do I suck at? Shane sucks at a lot of things. And Shane needs to hire people that are better than him to do these things or that we won't make progress. So, that's kind of how we look at team building for sure. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Well, and I, I look at myself and, and I'm, I don't tweet that stuff. I'm not on Twitter much, but basically I've been trying to figure out what I want to spend my time on. And like you said, I like what I'm doing. I'm yeah. choosing the projects that I'm working on, but there's some stuff where I'm like, I would like to have someone else do that because I could do better stuff elsewhere. Someone here, has to do, here's someone the has to tip. sweep the floor. Right. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me give let me give you a tip for that. Okay, so like uh, the best thing that I ever wrote down. Yes, someone does have to sweep the floor, but I'm sh- always shocked at how many people actually like sweeping the floor, and you can find people to sweep the floor, right? So that's that's a 
mindset shift a little bit. But one of the best things a guy ever told me was a buddy of mine. When we first sold our business, right? I was like, man, what am I going to do with this money? And he was like, well, I am not going to give you any advice because I've never had a million dollars and you should not spend a million dollars without talking to someone who's actually spent a million dollars. I was like, that's a good idea. Cause I was asking all my friends, like, what kind of team should I build? What should I do? And everybody had a lot of ideas. Nobody knew what was going on. It's kind of like my old man, my dad, like, you know, my dad's bought one house in his entire life. I've bought nine, but every time I buy <laughs> another house, he tells me exactly how to buy the house. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. But like I, uh, I, so I taught this guy, I taught this mentor guy and he said, you have to know the business that you want. Like, you know, a five-year goal. Like, what do I want to do? Start with revenue because money makes the mission possible. It's all about revenue. It has to be about revenue. Don't, don't get confused people. Money makes the mission possible. So if you want to have a mission, you got to have money. So start with the revenue you want. Like if I write down, you know, 1 million a year and then talking to people who have companies that are making a million a year, ask them what their team looks like and start drawing out the hierarchy, start drawing out the, the team that you have to build to run that million dollar business. Okay. And then once you know that it becomes very intuitive of like, well, wait a minute, that's the last person that was hired. And that's the last person that was hired under this person. And that's the last person that was hired here. You start working your way back. And instead of saying, oh, man, I need to get rid of these tasks. You say, oh, man, that has to be the next human. And that's how we built our team. We just did that exact thing, man. We wrote, we wrote down what we wanted. We do this all the time. Like I just did this back in like September of last year for the next phase of growth. And we created the whole hierarchy. Like what does our business look like with X coaching clients and XXX of revenue, right? And we drew the whole Venn diagram. Who do we have now? Who do we not have? Started working backwards. And then we actually wrote the code. We wrote them down when we were going to hire them, like on months on a calendar like that. This is when we're going to need them. If everything goes good, this is when we're going to need them. And that was the best tip I ever had, man. The last two awesome. iterations of my team have came from that. No problems. So maybe, maybe do that. Start there. Perfect. Very good. So as we're we're wrapping up, I, I'll, let's jump back to the beginning sort of phase. So what should people do or any advice for people trying to find their audience and then get them on the list? And there could be, you know, a whole weekend seminar, a whole course on this, but yeah, some broad points on building your audience, getting them on your list. The, number, the first thing you're doing when you're first starting out, and this again, the product doesn't necessarily matter at the end of this. Like, yeah, I don't care if you're selling PDFs like we do. We have like one-on-one -on -one coaching. We have affiliates. Like I promote affiliates all the time. Like it doesn't matter. The product doesn't matter. The steps are the same. The first thing you have to do is you have to look in the mirror. You got to stop looking at everybody else. And you have to identify and use your God-given gifts and unfair advantages. You got to do that because you're not going to find your answer outside of anybody, guys. It's going to be found inside of you. That's it. So once you identify your God-given gifts, this can be things that you love. It can be passions. It can be hobbies. It can be whatever. It can be things you've learned. It can be your knowledge, your career, whatever. It can be things you've lived through, like bad experiences. Like we have people, I've seen people turn surviving cancer into a thriving business helping thousands of people, right? So like look at all your, the gamut of your entire life experience. And then that's going to reveal problems that you have solved for yourself. That's your idea. Those are where your ideas come from. Once you see your gifts, you see your life, you see your challenges, the problems that are revealed are your ideas for a business like Jocelyn's problem. 
I had to come home and write lesson plans until seven o'clock. That's a problem for someone else too. She can now reach back and help a version of herself doing that. After you come up with that problem you can solve, then you got to figure out how to tell your story. You got to be able to tell the story out loud of how you solved that problem because that's what marketing is. It's stories. You tell your story first, as many times as you can tell it online. Eventually, you'll be able to tell your students stories and that will take the place of you. You'll have hundreds of them eventually if you keep doing this. Now, once you do that, once you're telling your story and people are hearing your story and they're saying, wow, I have that problem. You have my solution. What do I do? Then you say, here's your first step. And that's your lead magnet. You put that out in the world. Maybe it's a five-step guide to getting started with a process, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. 95% of people won't read your lead magnet. They just, but it'll get them on the list. And now you can open that conversation. Once you open that conversation, you can say, what do you need me to create to help you solve these problems? And they will tell you. They'll tell you if they want coaching. They'll tell you if they want an affiliate product. They'll tell you if they want anything else. Then you go give them that. You just give them that. Like our people for years, Doug, told us we need a platform that we can build a website on. So we finally stubbornly went out and found an affiliate program for a platform that we liked called Kajabi. We love it. We use it. And we're like, oh, here's this. Well, guess what? That's a six-figure revenue stream by itself, by itself, because we just did what our people wanted. So if you start in the mirror and you end looking out at your customer, you're going to get there eventually. And also to fail, man, like your, let your first three ideas be terrible. Just let them be terrible. You'll learn how to do the fourth idea so fast that you can try 50 more ideas in the next month, right? And throw some mud on the wall, but just fail a lot. Just go out and build something and like get crushed. You need a good uppercut to the face if you're going to make it to the other side. So take the first punch and then you'll figure out how to block the rest of them. That's great. I like Kajabi too. That's that's what I use. And the, the thing is... I, I tried a few other platforms and Kajabi is great because it's all in one. It has email marketing. Yeah. I think they have podcasting now. They have coaching. It does all, the, I don't even use half Communities. of it. Communities. Yeah, yeah, everything. It's amazing. It's great. And yeah, I was having a trouble with, or a little bit of trouble with my tech stack. If one thing breaks, then everything sort of cascades down and it's everything goes problem. apart. So yeah, shout I out like to Kajabi, Kajabi the best though, because I, I like it because it it doesn't let me do a lot of things. Like too many bells and whistles is the downfall of an entrepreneur because we already have shiny object syndrome. Oh, yeah. And like Kajabi is restricted just enough where I'm like, okay, we can't do that, guys. So we got to do it somewhere else. Let's go. <laughs> Let's just keep going. Send an email. Sell something. That's the whole yep. business. Don't 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 make don't make this too complicated. So as we're wrapping up here, I'm just curious. What are your big goals? What's the big mission for this year, 2023? You know, our goal right now, our, our long-term goal for Flipped Lifestyle is we want to help 100,000 families uh, replace their income on the internet. That doesn't mean quit your job. Some people love their job and they just want more income, right? That's our long-term goal. You know, our goal for that over the next 10 years is, you know, pretty much, you know, probably 10,000 a year for the next probably six or seven years, you know, to get to our goal. We want to make sure we get out to that. Our goal right now is to expand uh, what we're doing. Our, our program is growing rapidly because we do live events every weekend across the country and we do online events. So our goal right now is just to expand with that growth. Our fulfillment is our number one focus because, you know, a lot of people focus on marketing, man, but if you don't serve your customer, 
you're going to have refunds. You're going to have bad press. You're going to have bad everything. So this year, it's all about just expanding the university of flip lifestyle, whatever you want to call it, to where we're continuously like supporting our community and supporting our people. And just to spread the word, man, you know, we, we do things a little different. I I really believe that anyone can make money online. I truly believe that. I'm, I don't go out and try to convince everybody they're going to be a billionaire like Grant Cardone does, or, you know, I'm not telling you to work 90 hours a week like Gary Vee or anything like that. I think people can create a 60 to $120,000 income pretty rapidly and at a pretty good clip. And that's a, that's a great living for a family. The median income in America is $60,000. Like if we can create a bunch of people who have $100,000, your family's going to have choices. Your kids are going to have choices. And that's our mission that we're on fire out is just help people find their ideas and help people get out there and make it happen. So I've dedicated my whole life to it, dude. I've sold everything I have, done everything for it. We don't focus on anything but flip lifestyle. And that's our mission right now, man, is just to make more Shane and Jocelyn's, help more families flip their life with online business. That's awesome. Well, Shane, it's been a pleasure catching up and hearing your story. And where should people find you? Yeah, man, you can, uh, if you got anything to say about this podcast or anything, hit me up on Twitter at Shane underscore Sam's. We also have at Flipped LS. I have a podcast every week called the Flipped Lifestyle Podcast. We air that on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. And I actually bring my actual students onto the show and I coach them live on air. And I we have a bunch of other segments uh, on there as well. So check that out. It's a long form uh, podcast. And also for anybody listening, man, if you want some help finding and using your God-given gifts, turning them into an idea for an online in- uh, income string, just go to flippedlifestyle.com slash Doug show, flippedlifestyle.com slash Doug show, all one word. And I'll take one of our trainings on finding and using your gifts to turn it into an online business idea. And uh, it's like a 90 minute training. I'll give it to everybody for uh, watching for free. Awesome. Well, Shane, that's great. We're going to link up everything so people can get to it really easy. The podcast, YouTube, the the free course there. And yeah, looking forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. 